Good morning. I hope you all had a fun and safe Halloween last weekend and still got to enjoy some candy. This is Politics with Autumn with your morning after the election coverage. I normally don't mention this because I attempt to plan accordingly, but this is recorded Tuesday mornings. So though the results of this election most certainly won't be decided on election night like they typically are due to COVID, the big shakeups are likely to occur in the only 24 hours after this episode is made. I just hope everyone got out to vote. Your voice is so important. With voter suppression and intimidation so visibly widespread, this election has shown how our democracy can be eroded and dissenting voices can be silenced. Over the weekend in Texas, a Biden-Harris campaign bus driving down the highway from San Antonio to Austin was surrounded by Trump voters. The so-called Trump train surrounded the campaign bus while a Trump train member gleefully recorded a large truck driven by a Trump supporter rammed into a white car full of Biden-Harris campaign workers that had been following closely behind the bus. Pro-Trump trucks got in front of the bus and slowed it down and reportedly the multitude of pro-Trump vehicles attempted to stop the bus on the highway and run it off the road. Videos gathered seem to indicate over 20 pro-Trump trucks participated in this dangerous stunt. A Biden campaign volunteer reportedly called the police. The Trump train followed the Biden-Harris bus throughout Texas. Katie Naranjo tweeted out a picture of the damaged car and said, quote, Today, at real Donald Trump supporters followed the Biden bus throughout central Texas to intimidate Biden supporters. They ran into a person's car yelling curse words and threats. Don't let bullies win. Vote. End quote. Donald Trump Jr. had earlier put out a video encouraging his father's supporters to join the Trump train. One Trump supporter even claimed the Trump train picked up over 100 vehicles as the campaign bus drove from McAllen to San Antonio. Trump train members even stopped and parked and shouted four more years when the bus drove through to the AT&T Center. Trump supporters that participated seemed to be extremely happy with the ultimate conclusion of the truck ramming the campaign car. They claimed they were escorting the bus out of Texas and called it escort duty. They claimed the white car that was hit was threatening other vehicles by changing lanes and swerving towards the Trump train vehicles. Instead, the white car attempted to intimidate the large 4x4 pickup truck that rammed it. Though the white car did not pull over to exchange insurance information, probably because the multitude of Trump vehicles and the threats and the insults being shouted. Many Trump supporters say this proves it was the white car's fault despite the fact that they immediately called to file a police report on the incident. President Trump later tweeted out a video of the Trump train impeding the campaign bus, saying, quote, I love Texas, end quote. Biden's spokesperson referenced Trump's Pennsylvania rally disaster, which we will discuss in a minute, when he tweeted, quote, For the second time in a week, your campaign has left your supporters stranded in the cold, with no transportation at one of your super spreader rallies. Maybe you should spend more time worried about those buses than ours, end quote. Trump is predicted to be a battleground state this year, and early voting numbers has surpassed 
2016's total number of votes. After the Trump train slowed the bus down to 20 miles per hour on the interstate and the Biden campaign vehicle was hit, the Biden campaign canceled their Austin event that was supposed to happen later that same day. According to the campaign, local law enforcement assisted the bus to get to its final destination when they called after the accident. The FBI are now investigating the alleged harassment of Biden campaign bus by vehicles flying Trump flags. Last week, Trump rally-goers in Rome, Georgia, and Butler, Pennsylvania, were left out in the cold after the conclusion of the Trump rally. Both times, there was a shortage of buses to take the Trump voters back from the rally space to the parking lot where their cars were. The Trump campaign called it fake news, but there was plenty of video to confirm the stories. Then, the same thing happened in Omaha, Nebraska. The temperatures in Omaha that night were in the mid-30s, and thousands of rally-goers were stranded for hours. At least seven people were taken to the hospital, and police gave rides to the elderly. The trek from the airfield to their parked cars was three and a half miles, and many walked. The rally ended at 9 p.m., and many were stranded until after midnight. At Omaha Scanner tweeted out, quote, one officer advising eight to nine elderly people who are struggling. Separate officer advising they have located an elderly party who is frozen cold, unable to move, with an altered mental state. End quote. In Georgia, it was 46 degrees and windy as thousands waited for buses. It was 41 degrees with thousands stranded in Pennsylvania. Trump zigzagged across states in order to get more votes before Election Day. But between logistical mistakes and COVID spread, he seems to be hurting the very people he is asking to vote for him. Not that it will change their vote. With misinformation spread frequently over the last four years from Trump supporters, from Russia to the president himself, and little done to stop or to curb it, this election is just as precarious, if not more so, than the 2016 race. Stopping misinformation can frequently come across as being partisan or as having an anti-conservative bias because of where the majority of misinformation often comes from. QAnon is one stark example where their conspiracy theories already buy into the political establishment trying to shut them up. The Washington Post says it even protects the president's family and allows them to spread misinformation that bolsters their own campaigns and causes. Isaac Stanley Becker and Elizabeth Dworskin wrote in a November 1st article, quote, Toward the end of last year, around the time Facebook owned Instagram, was rolling out labels, obscuring fact-challenged posts, and directing users to accurate information, the company removed a strike against Donald Trump Jr., for a fact check on the photo sharing service that would have made him a so-called re re repeat offender, fearing the backlash that would have ensued from the accompanying penalties, according to two former employees familiar with the matter. These penalties can be severe, including reduced traffic and possible demotion and search. 
One former employee said it was among numerous strikes removed over the last year for the president's family members. End quote. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg told Massachusetts Senator Ed Markey that if a candidate attempts to say they've won the presidential race early, that they will pin information to that post that says official results are not in yet. They will also include a banner at the top of the app with accurate results listed. After the 2016 election chaos and interference Facebook failed to address, Zuckerberg seems to want to deter the idea that the social media giant will allow it to happen again. However, many people and politicians are still rightly concerned. This is especially concerning if Facebook and Instagram continue to be run in fear of fact-checking the president and his family members, as well as his supporters. Russian disinformation continues to be a concern. Rudy Giuliani is believed to have, been, have to be a Russian target, and members of the Coronavirus Task Force, Scott W. Atlas, just went on Russian Times, or RT, a Russian propaganda outlet, to discuss America's handling of the pandemic. He told the RT that lockdown policies are killing people and called them, quote, an epic failure of public policy, end quote. Atlas walked back his interview by apologizing and saying he was unaware the Russian Times was a registered foreign agent. Atlas has been criticized by both Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates for his reckless insistence that masks don't work, and used his Russian interview as a way to fire back at the two of them. With large increases in voting and polls as tight and unsure as they were in 2016, Every bit of truth, fact, and fiction is imperative to know in this upcoming race. Now on to polling. Nonpartisan538.com was joked about on last Saturday Night Live because of the website's failure to accurately predict the 2016 election. In 2020, 538 is back and more serious than ever about their polling data. They do hold for Biden winning and say the margin of error will not be big enough to account for a Trump win this time around. They believe neither candidate will hit the required 270 electoral votes needed before the end of election night. There is, according to their pollsters, an 89 in 100 chance of a Biden win, a 10 in 100 chance of a Trump win, and a 1 in 100 chance of an electoral tie that would lead to a decision being made by the Supreme Court on the winner. Despite being the incumbent, they refer to President Trump as the underdog in this race. Around 97 million people had already voted before Election Day, surpassing two-thirds of the entirety of all 2016 ballots cast. Democrats are also favored to win both the House and the Senate, with Democrats having an 80% chance of holding between 48 and 55 seats in the Senate. As stated previously, we may not know the winners for a while as votes are counted, and complicated this year by the pandemic and mail-in voting. 
The release of full election results will take time. According to the New York Times, who asked every state when they expected their election results, they said, quote, Even once the early and in-person ballots are counted, a significant number of votes could still be outstanding. Only nine states expect to have at least 98% of unofficial results reported by noon the day after the election. 22 states and the District of Columbia allow postmarked ballots to arrive after Election Day, so the timing will depend on when voters return them." Mail-in ballots will take longer to count, and there will be a larger number of provisional ballots to count than usual, as 23 states required a provisional ballot if a voter initially requested a mail-in ballot then came in to his or her polling place to cast a vote. These ballots are also the ones that tend to be counted and reviewed last. When and where votes are counted first will also affect how the results look, and the vote likely won't be certified for a few weeks. Though President Trump has made warnings that he expects the states to count all of the votes, on election night that isn't feasible and he doesn't make election law. His solution, he says, is to go into Pennsylvania with lawyers if they don't have the vote count ready when he wants it. That isn't how a president leads or is supposed to graciously accept election outcomes. But it goes to show that Mr. Trump is not gracious or a leader. By Tuesday, 60 million of 90 million requested mail-in ballots had been returned, with some states allowing extensions for the deadline. Postal workers have been expected to take extraordinary measures to get ballots in by expediting ballots, taking them directly to the election office, and even working on Sundays. Postal workers' days have lengthened as well. Many are working overtime to help our democracy function. Maybe when this pandemic is over, thank your local nonpartisan postal worker employee for their hard work in these tough times. And with all the misinformation about mail-in voting, on top of it, they certainly deserve it. In In Pennsylvania, President Trump won by less than one percentage point in 2016 which explains why he has stirred up so many falsehoods about mail-in voting there and has threatened to bring in lawyers. He wants and likely needs the state's 20 electoral votes in order to win. Ohio and Texas, which is now considered a swing state, both experienced high instances of voter misinformation. Many social media platforms have also put temporary guardrails up as votes are counted in order to stop the spread of misinformation around Election Day, including Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. With polls, President Trump would still need a larger margin of error than occurred in 2016 in order to win. But the memory of 2016 makes it hard to trust polls this time around. Vice President Biden is up by 8.5 percentage points versus Hillary Clinton's 
point lead four years ago. There also seems to be many less undecided or third-party voters this time around. However, the polls could still be off and President Trump could gain a decisive incumbent win. It is all up in the air and Americans are feeling a deep anxiety about the outcome. Stores in New York City boarded up ahead of time in anticipation of the civil unrest that might occur, no matter who wins. And a thousand National Guard troops were activated in Massachusetts by Governor Charlie Baker in case they are needed. When it comes to the election and its results, we'll all have to be patient. We have to be kind to ourselves and we have to be kind to each other. I know this time right now is very volatile and we all fear, feel very anxious about what could possibly happen. But just know that you've made your voice heard by voting and for now, that's all you can do. I hope y'all have a great day, a great night, and I will talk to y'all next week. Thank you.